I just thought it would be uh, just fitting uh, for uh, this morning and maybe just uh, the next couple of weeks to, to take a break from, from John's Gospel uh, and to uh, just a little bit of what uh, I'm sure so many of us are are feeling and so many of us are, are working through uh, where we live uh, and when we live. Um, kind of think everything has always uh, been smooth and gone smoothly. Uh, and uh, now suddenly here uh, in, uh, in 21st century America, life has uh, become a lot more uncertain, become a lot more uh, unstable. And just uh, thinking back uh, in my own uh, lifetime, uh, a lot of this uh, reminds me a little bit of how things felt immediately after 9/11. Uh, on that day, you know, those attacks happened in the morning, and then um, for the rest of the day, every, everyone's on edge. Everyone uh, kind of went home or was kind of glued to uh, news stations, and uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, and uh, this is a little bit different uh, within that because. Uh, uh, you know, it, uh, very similar as well to uh, uh, the Y2K panic, uh, even uh, about a, you know, a year and a half prior to the 9-11 attacks of just being, uh, not knowing what was going to happen uh, when the year 2000 hit and ended up being being really nothing. But uh, this, this has uh, a lot of that feeling uh, to it, uh, where uh, we don't know uh, what's going to take place, but... Uh, this is a little bit different because, uh, you know, with the, the terrorist ta- attacks and that 9/11 uh, stuff, we uh, there was a it felt like we were invaded, but we we also know we could retreat to our homes and and be secure. And this is a little bit different because a virus can be indiscriminate, right? Uh, and it, it moves uh, silently and, and subtly and invisibly. And this can create questions and, and doubts and, and fears uh, in our hearts. And uh, so these are, are unprecedented times for, you know, for, for my generation and for, for other generations. But, but really, as we, we look at the scope of, of history, a, a plague or a, a pestilence that runs rampant through a city, through a region, uh, over the uh, an entire continent or, or really over an the entire globe is not something new uh, to human history. Uh, there's a, I think a couple weeks ago I, I referenced uh, the Spanish flu uh, that, that after World War One all the, the troops went home and, and that uh, influenza virus uh, spread throughout the, the world and it um, for three years it, it, it ravaged uh, humanity uh, and there, there were many churches that at that point in time, did exactly what a lot of churches are doing now. That they paused their their meetings and they said, "Hey, we need we need to uh, to wait out of love for others and not having a desire to uh, to spread this beyond uh, where it uh, is going to go." Uh, but honestly, that the Spanish flu wasn't the first time that the church has faced uh, such decisions either. Uh, the uh, the bubonic plague, which became known as uh, Black Death. Uh, swept uh, into Europe from East Asia in the, the middle of the 1300s, and uh, for six years, basically from 1347 to 1353, that the plague moved uh, throughout Europe, uh, and it's estimated that it killed uh, 100 to 125 million people. Uh, 
uh, which would have been um, just a, a huge uh, number of, uh, a huge percentage of the population of Europe uh, during those six years. And that would have been, uh, as you can imagine, just extremely traumatic for those who did survive. Uh, it would have left uh, a deep scar uh, upon them, uh, just mentally and, and emotionally and spiritually. Uh, and uh, what's what's not known uh, as much is that uh, even though there was that kind of six-year intensive time of the, the bubonic plague, uh, there, w- there were localized, smaller outbreaks uh, of the plague all the way up into the early 20th century. Uh, and... Uh, there were several uh, epidemics of the plague that swept through Germany uh, in the 15th and 16th centuries. And in, uh, in 1527, there was an outbreak uh, of the plague in uh, Wittenberg, Germany, uh, which was where Martin Luther uh, was pastoring and uh, teaching. And there is a, a personal letter that Martin Luther wrote to a friend uh, and a fellow minister, Johann Hess. And Hess had contacted Luther because the, the plague had also come to Hess's town, uh, and Hess was contacting Luther, saying, hey, what do I do? How do I respond to this? Um, uh, just in regards to when, when plague comes to my city, uh, what am I supposed to do as a pastor? What are we supposed to do as Christians? And, uh, and the, the letter, uh, you can read it, it's, in, it's entitled, uh, or the letter that, that Luther wrote in response to Hess's inquiry, uh, is entitled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. And this is a part of what uh, Luther uh, wrote uh, to Hess, just regarding facing uh, the black death. He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, uh, help purify the air, uh, administer medicine, and take it. And I shall avoid places, places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. Now, if God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy, and does not tempt God. And I love that. You know, Luther was speaking about his duty as a pastor uh, in uh, the midst of a plague. But, but how did he get that kind of faith and that kind of trust in God? Uh, what was it that strengthened him in that hour of need and gave him courage? Uh, even as so many around him uh, were, were perishing, uh, and, and he's there on the, on the front lines of ministering to people. And, and I won't go into the, the details of, of, of what the symptoms of uh, the bubonic plague was. And, and you, know, you, can, you can look those things up, but, but know how disheartening that would have been. Know how, uh, how uh, serious that would have been for Luther to say, hey, I'm still going to go minister to people. I'm going to be wise on these things, but I still have a, a call to minister uh, to others and to, to give them hope. And uh, Luther is, is, is well known uh, as the author of a very famous hymn entitled, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And 
the lyrics uh, say this, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours, uh, that, uh, in him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And uh, the, the, the truths of that song uh, are actually based upon one of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 46. Uh, and that is where I would like us to, to turn and, and study uh, this morning. Uh, and uh, to read that together because this passage has uh, instilled courage and hope and faith to Christians in the past. Uh, and I think it's an appropriate place for us to turn at this point in time. With, with all of these uh, uh, uncertain events, and we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, what uh, next week is going to look like, next month, uh, six months from now. Uh, but we do know that God is unchanging. And we do know who God is. Uh, and so we look now to his word to lead us, to guide us, and to instill hope uh, within us. Uh, and uh, as you turn uh, to this psalm, I just point your attention to uh, the superscription. Uh, there's a, usually a, a, a heading in our Bibles that's kind of bold and maybe italicized. Uh, and that is uh, provided by uh, whatever English translation we are using. But in the psalms, that little superscription uh, is actually a part of the Hebrew text, and, and we need to look at that and understand what it is uh, saying to us. And that will give us a little bit of information just from uh, <coughs> beginning the psalm. And it just says, To the choir master uh, of the sons of Korah, according to uh, Alamoth, uh, a song. And, and those four uh, brief statements uh, tell us that, hey, this was a, uh, a song written for congregational worship. Uh, and written and led by the sons of Korah, and that little phrase, according to Alamoth, probably refers either to a particular melody that they were supposed to sing to, uh, or to, uh, or the fact that it was uh, to be accompanied by uh, soprano voices. That's definitely not my voice, but uh, uh, it was to be accompanied by uh, soprano voices. Uh, and uh, the overall background and the setting of this psalm, other than that, those little details, is unknown, although... Uh, there are, are many situations in the Old Testament that would fit uh, the words of this psalm, as it seems to be some occasion in the Old Testament where, where God's people were facing dire circumstances, and then God delivered them through those circumstances. And we may look at uh, one or two of them uh, as we study this morning. But as we're, as we're going to study uh, this psalm, the overall idea is that God uh, was able to protect Israel in the midst of natural disasters and in the midst of national crises. Uh, and so they are called to trust in Him as their refuge rather than fearing their circumstances, however bad those circumstances may have been. And uh, if you have read the Old Testament, you, you can uh, recall how many dark days there were in the history of Israel. Uh, just a, uh, one single reading of the Old Testament would, would reveal disasters, plagues, famines, cities being besieged for years, uh, and then being destroyed, <coughs> being taken, uh, families being separated, uh, 
and uh, hearts being broken. But uh, as we turn to Psalm 46 this morning, what does it have to say to us? Well, uh, it says pretty much the same thing to us as it said to, to ancient Israel, right? That, that even when we face natural disasters and national crises, we are called to look to God as our refuge and strength. We are called to trust in Him uh, rather than fearing our circumstances, uh, however bad they may be. But right now, you might not feel like you can trust God. Again, with all of these uncertainties, you're saying, well, well, well why should I uh, trust in God rather than, than trying to, to do everything I can to make sure I survive this, this coming uh, epidemic or pandemic? And uh, in all honesty, I think, the, I think the coming days will be hard. This isn't a message that is intended to say, uh, God loves us and will keep us perfectly safe and all of our days are going to be easy from this time forward. I, I think the days that we have ahead of us are going to be trying days. And they're going to be difficult days. And we must prepare our heads, our hearts, and our hands uh, for what we must do, for what the Lord is calling us to do. And I would say first we need to prepare our our heads, we need to continue to exercise faith and lean heavily upon the Word of God uh, and uh, to know the truth that it proclaims. We must prepare our hearts to be loving and compassionate towards one another and towards those in our community at this time. And we must prepare our hands to sacrificially love, give, and care for others in ways that we may have never loved, given, and cared for in the past. Uh, again, this is going to be a u- unique season, or has the potential to be that, uh, that, that we have to prepare ourselves uh, to put the gospel on display. Uh, and, and this is an opportunity in, in the darkest of times for the light of Christ to shine brightly uh, as we reflect His goodness, His love, His character, His glory uh, to the world around us. And, and this is something that we need to uh, to embrace and uh, and acknowledge and again prepare our heads, our hearts, and our hands uh, to respond in a way that would glorify the Lord in the middle of this trial. Uh, and uh, our preparation begins with the truth of God's Word. It begins with our heads, but it does not end there. We must be convinced of God's sovereignty, His wisdom, and His love. And if we are convinced of these truths, then we'll be able to stand in the middle of this crisis no matter how bad it gets. But if we, are, if we are not convinced of these truths, it's going to be really easy uh, to, to fall into despair, uh, to, to be as those uh, who live without hope. And we, it's really easy to, to slide into the, the, the thinking and the mindset of the, the culture and the world around us that has no hope, but we can't do that. This is our uh, chance to, to stand firm. Uh, and to look to God, again, as our rock, our refuge, our shelter, our strength. And all of this we have to, to put on display, our <coughs> trust. And we have the opportunity to proclaim uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and to put him on display, to proclaim his perfect life, his sacrificial d- death, and his resurrection from the grave. Uh, and... 
we have an opportunity to share the hope, the comfort, and the peace that we have experienced and that, that others around us are, are desperately looking for. They're, they're grasping at things that will not be able to give them any comfort and hope. They're grasping at things that as soon as they, they put their hands on and hold on to and they look to it and say, save me, that thing, whatever it is, is going to crumble. But we as Christians must reach out we, we must run to and seek refuge in the triune God who has saved us, who is absolutely sovereign, who is infinitely wise, and who is perfect in love. And this morning as we look at this psalm, we're going to see the character of God on display, and we're going to see how our theology leads to an unwavering stability in life. And in these verses we're going to see three Three spheres in which God rules and reigns. Uh, Three spheres of of sovereignty that demonstrate that God is worthy of our trust. That we can look to Him even in these circumstances and we can trust uh, in His goodness, His faithfulness. And we can run to Him for comfort, for peace. And that He alone must be our hope. So we're going to look at these these three spheres. and uh, The first sphere uh, is... uh, found in, in verses 1 through 3, uh, and we can call it this, that, that God rules over all nature. God rules over all nature. And look with me at those verses. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. And as we, as we look at this psalm, I just want to draw your attention to the many statements that we're going to read that, that are theological statements. They are statements that begin as God is, and then they... They explain something that we are to know, to remember, to hold fast to about the character of God. Uh, and uh, in these verses, uh, we're going to see some theology. There's three simple statements here, but it's not pie-in-the-sky theology. It's going to be a theology uh, that connects who God is uh, with uh, who we are in relation to humanity. Uh, and again, as we look at these three uh, statements about the character of God... Number one, it says that God is our refuge, right? Again, this is who God is in relation to us. He is our refuge, and that Hebrew word there speaks of, of a strong and secure structure that is uh, able to protect us from the elements. Uh, and it gives us uh, shelter. You can think of it this way. God is an external stronghold that we can run to in times of trouble. Uh, and uh, uh, if you God is our refuge. He's that external uh, source of of strength and shelter. But then the next statement kind of contrasts with that, that God is our refuge and strength. Uh, God is our strength. And in contrast uh, with that external source that we can run to, he's also an internal source of strength for us. Uh, He's not only the God that we run to, but he's the one who strengthens us as we run to him uh, for shelter, for security, uh, and uh, then there's a, a third, uh, we have an external and an internal, and then uh, a third statement at the end of uh, verse 1. 
that, that he is a very present help in trouble. And this is a powerful statement in the Hebrew because it emphasizes that God is the one who lets himself be found. Uh, that in times of trouble, when we seek him, he lets himself be found by us. And, and troubles there is plural in the Hebrew, and it points to being in a tight place, uh, to being restricted, to being tied up, uh, or in a narrow and, and cramped place. And, and God is able to be found even when we face troubles and difficulties like that, when we feel squeezed uh, by what's going on and taking place around us. But what's amazing about that little phrase there is that there's another Hebrew word that's added on that's a, that's a superlative. It's an intensifier. Uh, and so the idea conveyed is that not only is God able to be found, but he is very findable. That, that he is very close by and near to us uh, to help us uh, when we need him the most. He is the very findable God that we are called to turn to. So he is our, our refuge and he is our strength, and it's not hard to find him in those times of trouble. But I love what uh, what Charles Spurgeon uh, says uh, about this, that we are often uh, slow to meet him, but he is never tardy in helping us. Uh, that, that if we look and turn to him, uh, God will respond again. He is that very present, that ever-present help uh, in times of trouble. Uh, and again, of the so, so in verse one we have this this practical theology of who God is as He relates to His people, and then the psalmist moves to a practical application of that. If this is who God is in relation to us, then the practical application is this is what we need to now do. This is the conviction that we need to have because these things are true. Uh, and in verses uh, two and three, then uh, are the, this application. And the overall summary of how we should apply those three truths about God is that we will not fear. That's the beginning of verse 2. Therefore, as a result of those truths, we will not fear. Uh, and then the, the psalmist goes on to, to, to explain uh, the, these four statements of, hey, even if all of these things should be taking place, there is still no need for us to fear our circumstances. We don't need to be afraid in times of, of, of trouble. And what the psalmist is going to describe uh, is really the worst possible situation in nature. Right? He's, he's going to describe a scene of absolute uh, chaos, a picture of devastation in these four simple statements. Uh, but there are also four statements of trust in God. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though the waters of the sea roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at the swelling of the sea. And if, if you read these, these verses, you can't help but think of a combination of an earthquake and a tsunami. Uh, and uh, what a picture of devastation, right? That, that the, the, the earth shakes and moves, creating this, this uh, massive churning of the waters, and the, the waters are churning and roaring so violently that they, in turn, now shake uh, the mountains as the waters are moving uh, so greatly and so much. And all this reminds me of uh, the earthquake uh, and the resulting tsunami that hit uh, in the Indian Ocean uh, the day after Christmas. Uh, in 2004, uh, it was a, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake, and it created uh, waves that were up to 100 feet high. 
uh, and, and those waves spread out uh, across the Indian Ocean, and they devastated cities, all of these coastal cities and, and uh, several nations uh, there. Uh, and you can imagine that. Just what, what would that feel like of feeling the earthquake and then seeing a 100-foot wave coming at you? Uh, and uh, that, that earthquake and that tsunami killed close to a quarter of a million people across 14 nations. Uh, and yet what the psalmist is saying here in these verses is that God's people can trust the Lord even when that is happening. God is still a refuge. God is still a God we can run to. He's still the source of our strength. He's still a present help in times of trouble. And in fact, what is being described here is actually even larger than an earthquake and a tsunami. Because these verses are describing really the the uncreation of the world. Uh, And this is the the exact same language that uh, another psalm uses to describe what God did when he initially created the world. If you just flip over in uh, your Bible to Psalm 104 and look at verses... uh, Five through nine, you'll you'll begin to see like wow, the, the, all of this same exact language is in, is intended to communicate that hey, even if God were to uncreate the world, if, if the whole world is is coming uh, to uh, to crumble around us, we can still trust in the Lord. If you look at uh, Psalm one hundred four verses, now look, listen to the similarities of what God did in creation, and you see how what we're reading in Psalm 46 is really talking about an uncreation. Uh, he set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved, and you covered it with the deep as with a garment. Uh, the waters stood above the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight, and the mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. And the whole point of this is that the, the Lord can be trusted uh, without fear, even when the world around us is is crumbling uh, and falling apart. Uh, and uh, then at the end of verse 3, there's a... A little word there, Selah, and I've talked about that in the past, but it's a, it's a word that is uh, intended to, to call the singers to pause and the reader to pause and to think and to meditate upon what was just said. Uh, to pause and to uh, reflect. And again, the, at this very hour, we, we have to be convinced of these truths. Now, each and every one of us, we have to be convinced that in these exact moments, God is still worthy of our trust. That we do not need to fear. We need to be convinced that God is our refuge. That God is the one who strengthens us, even in these times of great, great trouble. And that He is always present, always nearby to help us. Even now. And we have to to look to God, because if we put our hope in anything else, it's going to be infinitely lesser than Almighty God. And it's going to uh, to disappoint us. It's going to let us down. It doesn't matter what we hope in if it is not God. Because it does not provide us true hope, true peace, 
or true comfort. And if, if we if we look to anything else other than God, there's a question that will always uh, be in the back of our minds of what what do I do then if this fails? Okay, I'm gonna put all my hope here, uh, and then okay, all my hope's there, but then uh, that that begins to crumble, and then like okay, now we begin to look frantically for something else to place our hope in, and so we we frantically run around looking for what to put our hope in, and, and quite honestly, that's what we're seeing so significantly right now in in the lives of people and. Uh, in the world around us, that they're putting their hope in things, uh, and, and they're running around. They, they may have put their hope in their in the security of our economy, in the security of their job, in the security of their their home and their neighborhood, and all of these things. But then, as soon as that gets shaken a little bit, man, there's there's panic, right? If you if you've been to a store right now, uh, if you've been to Costco and waited in that line, you begin to see of uh, when. The things that people have been putting their hope in have been shaken. They turn to something else. Right now, they're they're looking to provisions. I need uh, water and canned goods. And you've you've all heard the toilet paper jokes. Uh, people putting their hope in toilet paper. Like, why, why do you need that? Why do you need that much toilet paper? But uh, just those aspects of of you see that begin to play out, and what people begin to pursue when. Uh, when something, a crisis hits. Uh, and that's where it's so important right now that, yes, we can be prepared. And I'm not saying you can't ever go to a store. Like, no, hey, it, 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 there's there's wisdom there. But first and foremost, what we need to run to, the person that we need to, to cling to is God. Not, not anything else uh, in this life. And then we need to, to be willing to to minister to others when those things that they have been running to and clinging to fail them. And to be there with the message of hope. Let me tell you about my God who is a refuge and a strength to me. And he is always present to help me. And he, and he can help you now as well if you look to him in faith. Look what uh, Charles Spurgeon also said is that with God on our side, fear is irrational. I love that again, because if if we are convinced of who God is, then this is how we need to apply it, and this is what is true. And this is the the first sphere that we must be convinced that God rules over, that he rules over all nature, not only over the the mountains and the seas, but also over every single virus uh, and every disease. The Lord stands over it all, and because of that, we do not need to fear. And secondly, this... There's a second sphere uh, in verses 4 through 7. We could say here that that God rules over all nations. Look with me at those verses. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, and he utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And and these verses switch in and they begin to, to, to focus upon the city of God, which is uh, Jerusalem. Uh, the, the habitation of the Most High. Uh, and, and because God is present in that city, 
verse 5 says that she shall not be moved. And that's the same Hebrew word there that we saw back up in verse 2, when it was describing the mountains, right? That if the mountains should move, and we saw back in Psalm 104, that God created the mountains so that they would not move. Mountains are a symbol of stability uh, in Scripture. But even if uh, what is most stable begins to move, we can trust in the Lord. And then, because the city of God, because Jerusalem, at that point in time, uh, the glory of God is residing in the temple in Jerusalem, so God's presence is there with His people. But because God is there, the psalmist says, this city is immovable. She, she cannot be moved. Even if the mountains are moving and sliding, this city will remain stable. And when this city is in trouble, when Jerusalem was uh, facing attack, God would always be there to help her. And, uh, and here in uh, uh, verse 5, it says that God will help her when morning dawns. And uh, one clear example of uh, this, and maybe the background to this psalm, is found in 2 Kings chapter 19. If you, if you turn back with me there, uh, and this passage has other parallel passages in Second uh, Chronicles and also in Isaiah. But Second Kings 19, uh, we have uh, Sennacherib. Uh, and uh, Sennacherib is the, the king of Assyria. He had come to uh, Jerusalem and was besieging Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, this was a dark hour for the, the southern kingdom of Judah because uh, Assyria was the nation that had just wiped the northern kingdom of Israel uh, from the earth. Uh, the Assyria had was the one who, who came, uh, destroyed uh, the northern kingdom, and sent the twelve tribes, or the ten tribes that were in that uh, northern kingdom, and they scattered them. They, they went into exile, they went into captivity, and now they have been dispersed. They've never been regathered. So this is, a, this is a very dark time for the southern kingdom of Judah, when the nation that destroyed your, uh, your brothers is now coming upon you. They have surrounded the city, uh, and Sennacherib's officials have even come to the gates of Jerusalem to have a, a meeting, to have a parley with the, the, the leading city officials of Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, the, the officials of Sennacherib are coming. They're trying to intimidate. They're trying to scare uh, the, the officials and the, the city and just say, hey, your God is not going to deliver you. And they begin trash-talking. Uh, and they're, they're pointing and saying, have any of the other gods of the other nations delivered their people? And what's amazing is uh, in 2 Kings 19, uh, in verses uh, 32 through 37, we, we have the words of the prophet Isaiah speaking to King Hezekiah. Uh, and, and this is what uh, Isaiah uh, encourages Hezekiah with. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, 
Behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, Adramalek and Sharazer, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon and his son reigned in his place. And what's amazing is, again, you see uh, the dark days that, that the southern kingdom of Judah faced, uh, and then God delivered them. And if you notice in verse 35, of when did that deliverance come? When did the people see it and behold it? And when the people arose early in the morning. Getting that idea. When, when morning dawns, we will see that God has delivered us. And I think that's the, the idea here in Psalm 46, alluding to this. And another allusion could be if you uh, read uh, Exodus 14, uh, when uh, the, the people of Israel were, were running. Again, another dark day in Israel's history. They are running from Pharaoh. Okay, the Pharaoh finally let them go after the ten plagues. Uh, and that the glory of God uh, in a pillar of cloud is, is leading the people uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. And, and God is leading his people away, but then Pharaoh says, well, I can't do this. What, what, what was I thinking? I need to go chase them. And so now the people are really afraid. Uh, and, and they're running away from Pharaoh, uh, being led by God. And they come to the Red Sea, and they're like, oh, what do we do now? Uh, and then God parts the sea. Uh, and the people walked through on dry land, and it says that uh, when morning dawned, Pharaoh came and followed them into the midst of the sea, and that is when uh, the Lord brought the sea crashing down upon Pharaoh. Who comes against God's people, God will deal with them accordingly. God is sovereign over uh, nations, and here it says that the nations rage, uh, and that the kingdoms uh, totter, uh, and uh, the uh, the, when it says that the nations rage, that's the same Hebrew word when it spoke about the waters roaring uh, in uh, verse 3. Uh, and the kingdoms tottering, uh, that word totter is the same Hebrew word that we saw of the mountains moving and then the city of God being immovable. Uh, so there's all of this word play here. And at the end of verse 6, uh, the psalmist says that, uh, that, that all God needs to do is speak. All he needs to do is utter a word, or literally in the Hebrew, to give his voice. Uh, all that he needs to do is, is do that, and the whole earth melts. Uh, and then, so in the same way that God created uh, the, the heavens and the earth, just with his word, all he needs to do to uncreate it uh, is to speak, to speak, and, and that would be it. Uh, and that is the idea here. Uh, that by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth uh, all of their hosts. Uh, and uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 33, 6, and then Psalm 33, 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, and he frustrates the plans of the people. And again, of seeing and understanding, not only is God uh, sovereign over all of nature, but God is sovereign over all the nations as well. Uh, and uh, there, there are currently many people putting together forecasts of the future. Uh, some are forecasting the, the impact of, uh, of COVID-19 in terms of uh, just the impact on our health care system. Uh, others are forecasting the number of, uh, of people who, who might perish uh, from the disease. Still others are forecasting the, the economic impact upon 
uh, America and other nations around the world. And uh, we might uh, read those forecasts and we might grow discouraged. We might look at, oh man, here's the outcome and seeing all of these things. Uh, and it's easy to, to look at those and to, to fear, uh, to begin to grow fearful. Uh, but again, we, we have to, to understand that uh, the future of our nation is not in the hands of those forecasters. Uh, and it's really not even in the hands uh, of, uh, of our leaders. Uh, that God will use our leaders to guide and direct. But I, I love what uh, Proverbs 21 uh, 1 says, that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Again, God is sovereign over every single nation in the world, and that includes the one that we live in. Uh, it includes uh, America. God is uh, able to, to guide and direct all of our leaders as he sees fit. Uh, and um, God is the one who will establish what takes place here on the earth. Uh, and uh, we don't need to grow fearful over what will take place because God is the one who will guide and direct. Uh, and uh, you can read again throughout the Old Testament that uh, in, in the, the prophet Daniel especially, but, but also in the other Old Testament prophets, that, that God raises uh, up and then destroys uh, nations at different times. And he raises them up for different purposes and then uses them to accomplish those purposes. And he uses one nation to judge another and then... Uh, uh, he says, okay, now it's time for the, the second nation to be judged by another nation. And God goes and, and does all of these things because he is, he is sovereign. But over all of this, again, what the psalmist is saying, God is so sovereign over all these nations, and all these nations aren't going to make an impact upon Jerusalem because Jerusalem, the city of God, is immovable. But why is it immovable? Because God's presence is there. Uh, because his glory is there and and his uh, presence leads to his protection. And that's where it's so grievous when you read in Ezekiel and you see the glory of God departing from the temple and from Jerusalem. And at that point God is saying, okay, now Jerusalem is fair game. Uh, but but things to keep in mind for, for us as, as New Covenant believers. Uh, the author of Hebrews speaks about Old Testament saints and the Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 10 says that, uh, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then same chapter in Hebrews, verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Uh, And so what we see as being true of God uh, protected his city of Jerusalem because his presence was there. Uh, We we understand that we are now citizens of that heavenly city, Uh, that we are citizens of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21 say, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And and we are citizens of that kingdom. But we as Christians are able to, to to stand steadfast and immovable, not only because we are now citizens of that heavenly kingdom, but because we have the presence of God dwelling inside of us. Well, we have the, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So the very same thing 
that, that gave the promise of protection to those who are in Jerusalem. This is the city of God. God will not allow his city to fail while he is present there. That we can also know and be assured of that, that for all who believe in Christ, who are now united with him, his spirit dwells inside of us. As Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And this is why we can have hope in the midst of a plague, in the midst of a virus that's going, a, becoming a pandemic. It's because uh, we can stand steadfast and immovable in the Lord because the Holy Spirit of God lives within us and is present with us to comfort us, to help us, to strengthen us in every time of trouble. And uh, the, the psalmist's words then in, in verse 7 can and must be our own words. We must remind ourselves of them on a daily basis right now. Now, if we can't forget these words, these are the uh, this uh, verse seven is going to be repeated in verse eleven. This is this is the chorus to the psalm that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is again. There's a theological statements here, two of them. The God of Jacob is our fortress, and it's a different word for fortress. There, it's the idea of uh, of an uh, an inaccessibly high place. Uh, this isn't just a, uh, that that structure that provides shelter uh, from the element. This is some place that is so high and lofty that nobody else can get there. Uh, and that is the idea here in this uh, the chorus of our God is with us, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the God who is over all is with us. And he is our fortress, our high place. Uh, and uh, all of, of nature and all uh, uh, the nations cannot remove us from that high place. We stand steadfast, immovable, and secure there in the hands of our Lord. And this is the, the second sphere over which God rules. That he rules over all nations. And when uh, taken in tandem with the first sphere... There doesn't seem to be much left. So, so what's the, the third and final sphere? Well, we, we see it in verses 8 through 11. And we can say that this sphere is that God must rule in our hearts. God must rule in our hearts. Look with me at verses 8 through 11. Come, behold, the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. <clears throat> Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And in, the, in these final verses, the, the psalmist gives us commands. Uh, and the, the first two of these commands are found in verse 8. Right? Two, two imperatives given back to back to provide urgency and emphasis. He's, he says, come, behold. But what is it that we are to come and, and look at? 
It is the works of Yahweh. And four specific deeds are mentioned. Come and behold these things. How he has brought desolations on the earth. Secondly, how he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. And literally, he is the one who causes wars to cease. Thirdly, how he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. And how he burns the chariots with fire. Again, all of that could have that background that we read in, in 2 Kings 19 of the angel of the Lord decimating the army of the Assyrians. But, but we are called to, to behold and to see the power of Yahweh as demonstrated in what he has done in the past. The power of our God. He has brought peace to the situation there facing Jerusalem. But he, he did it not through negotiation. He did it by victory. Uh, he did it by conquering. And we are to look and see what God has done in the past to understand his faithfulness to his word that he will be faithful to keep his word both in the present and in the future. Then there is another set of two commands given at the beginning of verse 10. And these commands have often been misunderstood and, and abused. Uh, two commands of be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. And, and these commands are, are not a, a call for us to to, to quietly uh, reflect upon uh, God and to contemplate Him. These are a command of... This is a rebuke to the hearts of the people of Israel. Right? Because, because you can imagine how they might have been feeling. The natural uh, fretful response when, when an army is besieging you uh, is you're like, I'm kind of concerned. Uh, but, but this is the idea of, no, there is a rebuke coming to them of, no, be still and know, be certain that God. And we are to be still and know that He is God. You and I, we are not God. And this is a, a rebuke that puts uh, us in our proper place. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And we are His creatures who live in His creation. Because God is God, He also gets to work all things together for His own glory. Right? And then that's, that, that's the, the twofold declaration that immediately follows these commands. Right? Of God saying, I'm going to, uh, to achieve victory. You don't need to be frightened. You just need to be still and know that I am God. And God says, in essence, He is going to work so that his name is exalted, that he will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. God is God, so he gets to exalt himself, and we have the privilege of pointing others to him, so that he might be exalted. We don't get the glory, he does. And he creates circumstances in our life so that we get to point to him. And again, he, he allows darkness to, to come so that he gets to shine all the brighter. And... Uh, and these words are just call us into submission to God, to His will, His peace, to His purposes and His plans. And um, I can't help but when I when I think of this, and again, oftentimes it's it's misconstrued. But uh, 
when, when Jesus is asleep in the, in the bottom of a boat uh, with his disciples, and, and suddenly there's this storm raging, and his uh, disciples come to him, uh, and they are so afraid. They're like, hey, don't you love us? Do you, do you care about us at all? Uh, and, and they are fearing for their lives. Uh, Jesus gets up, and do you remember what he says? He says, peace, be still. But, but Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 39 says this, that he awoke and rebuked the wind with those words. He said to the sea, peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Again, these, the, these commands here are not a, hey, just, just go... Uh, and, and have a quiet time and, and listen for the voice of God. That's not what it's saying. It's, no, this, this is a, a command to, to calm the, the fear that resides in our hearts. Uh, that no, know that God is God. We are not, and we are called to look to Him, knowing that He will exalt His name in the nations and in the earth. That He is going to act for His glory. And so that's where believe this is a rebuke to Israel and to us to recognize who God is and then by corresponding implication who we are. God rules over all nature and over every single nation. But at times we struggle against Him in our own hearts. Uh, and that is where uh, this, this third sphere comes in, that God must rule in our hearts. Uh, this psalm uh, addresses that struggle as it reveals itself in fear, right? And, and all of the same fears that the Israelites were, were tempted to give into in their own time, we also face those same fears today at this moment in time in history. We fear that uh, that circumstances might become difficult or trying, right? We, we fear the unknown. We fear people who might judge us or harm us. We fear the loss of basic needs in this life, right? Food, water, shelter. And we fear uh, disease and death. But, but each of those fears that the, the Israelites would have faced as they're being surrounded by an opposing army, we don't need to fear any of those things, just like they didn't need to fear any of those things. But what we are called to is the, the spiritual discipline of remembering, Right? Come, behold what God has done. Come, behold what God has promised to us in His Word. And so we don't need to fear circumstances, uh, because God has promised to use every circumstances for our good and for His glory. Right? Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we don't need to fear circumstances because God will use whatever circumstances may come for our good and for his glory. And we don't need to fear people because the worst people can do is take our life. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So in the middle of all of these circumstances, we don't need to fear others. We need to, to grow in our fear of the Lord. 
And we do not need to fear the loss of possessions and, and the necessities of this life because as, as we read earlier uh, and we prayed, uh, Jesus has promised to give those things to us if we would seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And we need to rest in those truths. And then lastly, but certainly not least, we do not need to fear disease and death. Because Christ has conquered death. He has overcome. He has victory over sin and over death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that is uh, the conviction that we need to grow in. Uh, That is what we need to be absolutely convinced of in our heads. And that needs to permeate our hearts and then transition out to our hands. As we uh, are convinced of God's goodness, as we have a peace and a faith and a hope uh, and that leads us to love others in this situation rather than uh, be growing fearful uh, of our circumstances. And, uh, and that's what this uh, psalm encourages us to do, uh, to trust in the God who is sovereign over all nature, the God who is sovereign over all the nations and who needs to reign supreme in our hearts as well, and who is calling us to come and behold all that He has done, who is commanding us to be still and to know that He is God. So we must yield our hearts to Him. If we are going to experience peace in the midst of any and all trials in life, that is what we must be convinced of and how we must begin to act. You're probably... uh, familiar with the, the, the phrase that has become very popular uh, of keep calm and, and carry on. It's become a, a meme and, and been modified to the umpteenth degree uh, and uh, made light of. But uh, that slogan was originally used by the British government uh, as a World War II motivational poster. Uh, and uh, in September of 1940, uh, after a prolonged air battle between the, the British and the, the German air forces, uh, in which uh, Germany was unable to begin to gain an advantage. So this massive air battle is being fought uh, over uh, Britain for uh, many months. It's known as the Battle of Britain. Uh, but after Germany is unable to gain an advantage, Adolf Hitler uh, made a decision to begin a campaign of intense bombing attacks on the city of London. Uh, and uh, the attacks began on September 7, 1940, and for 56 of the next 57 days, London was bombed intensely. And although that poster, Keep Calm and Carry On, is well known today, it was actually hardly used during World War II. Uh, it, was, it was very uh, uh, little uh, acknowledgement of that. Uh, but... But there was another slogan that was more widely disseminated during that time in Great Britain, and it was this. It says, Your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. And that was intended to 
to, to give the British people a confidence and, and a trust uh, to endure the, the days that were ahead of them. And those were some dark days in Great Britain during World War II. Uh, and uh, we as Christians, if, if Great Britain could endure those days, we as Christians can certainly endure these days with the help of our God. Uh, we, we can most certainly uh, endure what we are being called to do, which is mostly at this point, just stay home, right? And that's not not, not anything uh, overly hard, uh, but but we can do that, and not out of some strict cultural stoicism as the the British have, just kind of keep a stiff up, stiff upper lip. Uh, but but we can walk through the days ahead of us because God is with us. Again, the, the chorus of this psalm is repeated at the end, right? Verse eleven. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And we can walk through the days ahead because God is with us. And thinking of this, God is sovereign over all nature. God is sovereign over all the nations. And he is sovereign over all of human history. Which means that if we are here right now, where we are, when we are, and this has come upon us, then this is what the Lord has ordained for us to walk through. This is when we need to walk in faith. These are the, the trials that he has said, this is what I'm going to take my people through to use for their good and for his glory. And so we can walk faithfully with him. And we could say this, kind of a modification of that, that British saying, that in the middle of this crisis, your faith, your peace, your hope will bring God glory. And we could add this in addition to it. But it is His character, His faithfulness, and His strength that will carry us through. And may we have that same conviction as the psalmist expressed in verse 2. We will not fear. And may we be absolutely convinced of the chorus of this psalm. Uh, Verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.